Hello, I'm Brett Bradigan, editor and publisher of Ojai Quarterly and Ojai Monthly Magazines. This episode, we talk with Howard Hawk Koch, former president of both the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and the Producers Guild of America. Hawk has produced more than 60 major motion pictures in his life, including classics as varied as Chinatown and Wayne's World. He's lived in Ojai for six years now with his wife, Molly, with whom he wrote his memoir, Magic Time, My Life in Hollywood. Hi, Hawk. Thanks for joining me. I thought, uh, who better to figure out what's going on in the entertainment business than uh, somebody of your prestige and experience? And I'm just so curious, how is anything getting done under these circumstances? (laughs) Well, it's not easy. It's costing more money, but... People are pushing ahead, both in television and in movies. Uh, every time, you know, it's two steps forward and one step back. But uh, yeah. people, I'm sure it's human nature. All of us don't want to be cooped up in our homes. And the minute we can get out and go and eat in a restaurant and not be afraid or go to the movies and have some popcorn and enjoy it, people are going to want to do it. And I think the studios and the independents know that their movies, you know, I'm hoping by april you know that there's enough enough sense of uh, people getting uh, the vaccines and there's enough safety everybody feels safe enough that they'll go back to the movies and go back to the restaurants and we'll start to live life you know like pre-pandemic yeah i i have a this my theory that pet theory that there's going to be a lot of pent-up enthusiasm and demand for you know the entertainment yeah business and that uh it's going to be a, a flourishing i think like the you know there's i don't remember exactly what book it was years ago they were talking about after the pandemic of 1918 that this you know uh the roaring 20s came out of that and that that uh sense that uh you know the future is just out there waiting for you us to just grab hold of it yeah absolutely yeah you know i i have I wonder, or I should say, I hope it's the same because I sure miss um, just that whole communal experience, and it's going to be. Gonna be I nice think to, it's. To I think back. people are going to run to the theaters and the restaurants, and the uh, they'll be screaming at their their favorite uh, rock group at the at the forum uh, or, the, or Staples or wherever. Yeah, live music. Wow, how about that? Yeah, how about that? Boy, I didn't know I would miss it so much. <laughs> yeah, me so, too. So, um, what are you what are you hearing specifically of any anyone uh, you know, productions that are going on in, in inside of a bubble or they what what is it? How does it work? What's the mechanics of well, there's shooting? A, there's a that th- th- we have protocols and the directors guild and the IA and the producers guild have all put together protocols of what you have to do in order to you know work together uh on a movie or on a tv show and uh like i know this this one show i have a friend working on uh can't remember the name it's the one with jennifer aniston uh the morning show oh uh, you know where yeah every, every disney right every morning i think it's sony but every morning um everybody on the on the crew has to be tested and they get tested, and it's a quick test, and you find out if everybody's okay. And they certainly tell you, you know, what you should and shouldn't be doing. Everybody wears a mask, except for when they're in front of the camera. And uh, it's just a whole bunch of protocols, and it's it takes longer, but it's safe. And so far, we're getting movies and television shows made. So the pipeline is starting to fill up yes. again? Yes, it is. A lot more yeah. being done outside of the states canada australia but uh there's a lot going on here now yeah that's good because uh, los angeles took a got annihilated yes uh, movie theaters took a night got annihilated yeah as is restaurants yeah. and uh, all small businesses and ojai as a tourist town obviously i know i'm part of the local economy and i sure felt it and oh, it hasn't yeah. gotten back to normal yet no it, and it, i don't think it will for another three or four months but there is light at the end of the tunnel yeah well i'm curious to talk to you about the entertainment business because who better you you've grown up in it and i know uh, you came to our uh, rotary club to give 
a talk, which was, you know, we're still talking about how amazing that was. And I held up as a way of introduction, your uh, IMDb credits and just started scrolling them and pe- wait, I couldn't see it. I just waiting for people to tell me, you know, I've reached the end and it kept going <laughs> on and on and on and on and on. And then it's no, keep going. <laughs> so I don't even know how many credits you must have probably more than any, anyone I've ever known. That's for sure. Well, well not just producing, it. you've yeah. done every last little bit of the, of the jobs. And uh, yeah, it's got to be, I mean, you, you call in your memoir, you call it the magic time. And I just uh, think that's really what goes on that. Well, it's some it's, kind of alchemy. Yeah. It's, you know, the magic of movies. I mean, everybody talks about it. Well, how did they do that? You know? <laughs> and yeah. in the old days, it was really, how did they do that today? There's with CGI and digital and everything else. You don't even have to shoot it. They'll put it together in post, which is yeah. a whole different, uh, you know, I, I'm, I haven't been doing many uh, of that sort, but I know how we used to have to do it. And today, yeah. uh, like I, I was on the phone today with a young guy who just graduated, uh, I guess, uh, at USC film school. And, you know, what, what, what does he do now? And he wants to be a director. And I said, well, direct. <laughs> you have an iPhone? Yeah. Go direct. You know, it's, you know, if anybody read, I'm sure Malcolm Gladwell's uh, The Outliers, you need 10,000 hours and go out, you know, if and you want to be a director, no time, but like the press. Yeah, go out and direct, direct a two minute film, a five minute film, a 10 minute film. You know, it's, this is the, the best time to be a young person who loves movies and loves, you know, streaming, whatever, loves storytelling, I should say. And, yeah, uh, storytelling, is and key. you know, you can tell a story in two minutes. You can tell a story in, uh, in uh, you know, in a, in two hours. Well, I'm seeing a lot of these limited series that are basically eight, ten hour movies. You know, yeah. like like uh, True Detective or the one we just watched, uh, Queen's on, Gambit. Uh, Did you see that? The Queen's Gambit, I love yeah, that. Yeah, I loved it too. Terrific yeah. show. Yeah. Great storytelling. Yeah. yeah. Compelling characters. Yes. And somebody would say, yeah. if somebody said to you, I'm going to tell the story about a young orphan girl who who ends up a, a chess champion. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> yeah. And yet it's, uh, but the, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's really, we bend that uh, one end to the other. Yeah. 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 So there's like no end to the inventiveness, I feel. And that now that the barriers to entry, it's like you're just telling well, yes, somebody wants to get into the business, just get out there and do it. Yeah, just, if, you, if you have the talent, uh, somehow the right people will find you. You know, it's yeah. not, you, you, I always say you have to have talent and you have to have luck. You have to, you have, to have good timing and you have to have luck. No matter all the other stuff, you got to have luck to be able to be at the right place at the right time or have somebody see your work and go, oh, you know, I mean, it's. Yeah, that was uh, uh, Branch Rickey said, how did he put it? Uh, Luck is the residue of design. There you go. There you go. I love that quote. Or uh, George Bernard Shaw said, uh, the more you practice, the luckier you get. I love that line. I'm right. Can I write that down? Wait a minute! You're supposed to be giving me the no, You're the. <laughs> I'm sure you must have heard some version of that before, but yeah, it's the uh, just the grit and the grind. I think that's where that separates, you know, the wheat from the chaff. It really is that getting in there and just doing well, you it. You know, I I talk about that uh, in the book about you know having courage to actually say. You know, so many people are afraid in life, not just in the movies, but they're afraid to, you know, oh, I I couldn't do that, or I couldn't do that, even though I know it's the right thing to do. Well, do it, (laughs) because God forbid, you know, live your dream, not somebody else's dream, but live yours, because you don't want to know that you're, you got a minute to live, and you're, you're laying there thinking, geez, did I do what I wanted to do or did I do what I, th- I, w- I thought I was supposed to do or I was really afraid to do what I wanted to do and then it's over. And then what? Yeah. How can you not do what you love doing? Yes. Uh, it's, you're more likely to regret something you didn't do yeah. than something you oh, did. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I've got, I, yeah. I made a lot of lousy movies, but I, 
I, <laughs> I enjoyed the process and the people and the fa- you know it's a family when you're making a movie or whatever you're doing i mean with you know the rotary club is basically a family a family of people here who all you know they may have different ideas of certain things but they all love ohi and uh, they want ohi to be the best it can be yeah and in the, the projects that we do in the world it's just like uh you know, you you roll up your sleeves and get busy, just like you're saying. Right. Oh, you you don't like childhood poverty? Oh, we got a program for you over here. Why don't you sign up? Yeah, donate a little bit of money, and and there's also ways you can get uh, you know directly involved. And we would send people to India to do polio vaccines Fantastic. and all kinds of projects. Yeah, well, yeah. send the vaccines to OI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully, I had a, I talked to uh, Doctor. Marty Pops, who actually knows Anthony Fauci, they were colleagues huh. years ago, and when they uh, were first discovering the AIDS vaccine, and he he said it's going to be you know frontline workers by the end of January, pretty wide distribution, whatever the first ten or twelve million, which may be enough to take the edge off, right? We can start getting back to normal, right. but. You know, people are just going to have to just get these vaccines. Otherwise, uh, everyone else becomes vulnerable. It's got to be like a public good. And there can't be more of this uh, anti-vaccine nonsense. And and I understand people have concerns, but it's just uh, just too much is at stake. You know, we've got too many people that are suffering to to be worried about uh, some of these sillier things. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I was going to say, you uh, you know, were born into the business. Your father was a famous, well-known producer as well. So I remember in your book, you were talking about just, I think the opening chapter, you were talking about showing up on a movie set in Northern Arizona or like Monument Valley or something and just all the cowboys and Indians and how, how must that just must have lit up. Well, fire. yeah, I was a shy little kid. <laughs> and um, uh, I really hid in my mother's dress. Never wanted to, you know, anybody could see me if I was hiding in my mother's dress. And she drove my sister and I up to actually Durango, Colorado. And uh, my dad was an assistant director on a movie up there. And I didn't know what a movie was. Four years old, you know, what did I know? And uh, the one week took us a couple of days to get up there. And we got up there. And the next morning, my father said come on you're coming onto the set with me and i don't know what the hell a set was and i was scared stiff because i didn't really see my dad very much because he was working six sometimes seven days a week and i got in the car and i was crying and we drove out and saw you know just a beautiful beautiful day in durango colorado and all of a sudden i saw smoke smoke on the horizon and then i saw smoke coming out of the tops of teepees and there were cowboys and indians There were some trucks off to the side, but I wasn't paying attention to that. Horses and, you know, horses breathing and with the, you know, the the cold coming out of their nostrils. Fantastic. And I got out of the car and I was running around in between the teepees. And it was like unbelievable. And some guy put me on his lap, an Indian. I was a little scared, but then he said, you know, many moons ago, you know, and he was doing some kind of thing well it turned turned out to be ricardo montalban you know he wasn't an indian at all and and i just had the best time and then i some guy on a horse looked down at me and said have you ever been on a horse before no would you like to go for a ride yeah and somebody picked me up and put me in front of him and he rode me around you know probably five minutes and i got off the the horse and i thought that was the greatest thing ever he was a big guy and his arms were holding the reins around me it was like fantastic and then the rest of the day i got to spend on a movie set and there was a camera and a clapperboard and the actors doing stuff and i got home that night and my father said to my mother hey uh guess who gave uh, him his first horseback ride my mother asked and who and my dad said clark gable and it's true. I oh mean, you know, I, I Clark Gable was just some big guy, but you know that was that was the start of my movie career because I loved and still love being on a set. There's something about walking there first thing in the morning, and the trucks are opening, and they're bring, they bringing the camera off the off the back of the camera truck, and the grips are getting their the dolly ready, and 
you know, there's people are eating uh, breakfast burritos and makeup and hair is working. I mean, everybody's working. And it really, it's, I miss it right now, actually. I'm getting very, very yeah, teary-eyed. Just, I miss it too, and I'm not even yeah, in the it's business. Really, make it sound It beautiful. really is. And it's hard work, but it isn't. I, I, people say, how many, how many years you've been working? I said, I haven't ever worked a day in my life. I said, I love yeah. what I do. And, you know, they said, well, geez, you got to be up at six in the morning and you got to, you know, do you work till seven, eight at night? And I said, no, I don't. I just, I'm up at six and I get to, I get to be with people I love and things I'm doing till eight at night. <laughs> it's, that's different yeah. than, you know. Like you won the lottery. Yeah. Very lucky. Very lucky. So what are you, are you reading any scripts? Oh, I'm working on a lot of stuff. I'm working on anything. No, I can't really talk about it because there's not, uh, there's nothing's green lit yet, as we say. And I'm also. Yeah, I know. It's like projects that seem so certain and then they'll just fall through at the last minute. But I have a. And then the other thing happens too, you know, with projects that don't, don't feel like they stand a snowball's chance and then all yeah. of a sudden everybody gets but, but i have a, a another career which i didn't know i had um i'm very involved with the motion picture and television fund excuse me uh which as some of you may know is started by a hundred years ago by mary pickford and douglas fairbanks to take care of yeah. people and their mantra and still is we take care of our own and we take care of both financially and old age in whatever way we can, uh, people in our industry. And we have a, uh, an old age home, uh, in, uh, Woodland Hills where we have, uh, almost 200 people in assisted living, long-term care, Alzheimer's wings. And so, uh, because they have to stay inside, I'm very proud to say that for 33 weeks, we have had not one COVID case with a resident uh, in the last 33 weeks. Wow. So I'm very proud of that, but they have to stay in their rooms and they get their food there. So there's a, there's a, a closed circuit television channel and I've been bringing uh, people. It's one, one thing I do is behind the book, which are authors and I talk to them for a while. And then there's uh, uh, and then there's something called inside Hollywood. And I talk to, like I talked to uh, Brian Grazier and Ron Howard and, uh, I talked oh, nice. to uh, Billy Ray, and if you know who Billy is, but if you've seen the Comey Rule, he wrote and directed it, and he won. He was not nominated okay. for an Oscar for Captain Phillips. He's a phenom. And uh, anyway, he's phenomenal. And I did a and a, a Q&A with uh, Mark Gordon. You know, uh, Grey's Anatomy, Criminal Minds, Ray Donovan. Oh yeah, he's a private, private Saving Private Ryan, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it's, and I'm getting a lot of kudos. I mean, it's, it's gratis. I mean, I do it as a volunteer, but I love it. And I really enjoy uh, interviewing these people. It's an hour and a half. And uh, it's for those of your people who are on Facebook, go to the Motion Picture and Television Fund uh, Facebook page, and you can see some of these interviews. I do them on on, on okay, Tuesday. I'm going to put that up in yeah. the notes. Uh, and they're on they're Tuesdays. really good. I'm doing uh, one on uh, the 15th with Ken Quapis. I don't know if you know who Ken is. He's a terrific director who directed the the pilots of uh, the Office, the Bernie Mac show, Larry Sanders, uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Uh, oh my God, L- Larry Sanders may be one yeah, of the best well, TV he, shows. He of all time. he helped create it and did the did the uh, shot the pilot and i think the first nine episodes and he also has directed a bunch of movies a lot of romantic comedies uh starting with follow that bird <laughs> about uh, mm. uh, the muppets but uh, he's a terrific oh, guy goodness. and then on uh, on the 22nd of december i'm doing uh, w- one of the great casting directors of all time and the president of the motion picture academy uh david uh, david rubin so those are, those are the, oh, the wow. next. Two. Yeah, you've got yeah. the connections. Yeah. So you're. This is like just. This is programming for the for the motion for the, pictures. Yeah. Uh, for the residents. For the for the yeah, residents, for the, and it's on the Facebook yeah, page. The, so a lot of out of work actors and crew and everything uh, watch, and I think they. I we've gotten a lot of kudos, and I really enjoy it. It's really fun, and yeah. it gives me something else to do along with taking care of our horses and our dogs. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I can imagine that's pretty rewarding to feel like you've earned uh, 
uh, break, regardless of the circumstances. I know that's why I started the podcast. It was the technological solution presented itself, which has been my hurdle. I've been wanting to do it for years, and I just got bored and lonely, and decided I was going to do well, something good for about you. It. And you know, I, well, I think there's a lot of that yeah. going on. I think yeah. that there's an an inventiveness in human nature that we take whatever the circumstances are and, and do something with them. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I managed to keep the magazine on schedule throughout. Yeah, you do a terrific job with that. Like, terrific okay. job. Yeah, thanks. We have, we have fun. This last issue is really, really, really good. So, but you weren't always in, in uh, film business. You were also in the music <laughs> business. And I know you talked a little bit about that. You were like barely a, out of your teens, oh, I was in right? When you moved yeah, to- no, I, uh, I was going to UCLA. And um, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, uh, I was a big Kennedy fan. And I got extremely depressed. Uh, I, I I went home yeah. uh, after the assassination, and I locked the door to my bedroom, and I didn't come out for three days. I watched Lee Harvey Oswald get uh, killed, and um, I just I didn't want to go back to school, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And luckily, I met a gentleman from England, uh, and I, I I didn't want to be in America right then. I was just so upset, and I said, "Hey, is there anything I could do?" You know. I love organizing, <laughs> and I had always been an organizer yeah. from the time. My nickname in school was Coach Koch because I was always organizing everything. And, That's great, and, Coach um, I, uh, he, he said, well, I, I manage American, I, I manage uh, English rock groups, and I bring American rock groups over, and I, I put them on television, and they do a rock show or something. Maybe you could come over, and you could start in the mailroom and see what happens. And I said, yeah, he gave me a job and I was making 12 pounds a week, which was about 20 bucks. <laughs> Not yeah. a lot, uh, but I lived in a tiny flat and within just a very short time, he saw that I was good and I knew everything about uh, music. And he said to me, uh, hey, listen, he said, uh, how about if you pick up these American rock stars at, at Heathrow Airport and get them to their hotel and get them to the, sh- to the TV show or whatever they're going to do? Think you could get them to the Hammersmith OE yeah, or time. Ready, Steady, Go or uh, Thank Your Lucky Stars. Those were the oh, yeah. two ing- big English. They were kind of like Shindig and Hullabaloo over here. An American bandstand, of course. Yeah. And uh, so the first group I picked up was Leslie Gore. It's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. And and her young oh, music sure. producer, Quincy Jones. <laughs> and yeah, way. No way. His uh, daughter's uh, yes, one, lives up here. Yes, lives yeah. in Ohio now. Yeah. That's and great. so then there was the Ronettes, and it was the Supremes, and it was the Jazz Festival, Coleman Hawkins, Philly Joe Jones, and I loved it. I was having a ball, and then uh, the my boss said to me, "I like what you're doing, and you know, uh, I own the Dave Clark Five, who were in 1964 were as big as the Beatles. They sold more albums, yeah, I remember in 19 that. in the summer of '64 than the Beatles did. They sold seven million albums in like three months, and they were going to go to the states. And he said, "I'd love you to you know, be a roadie on their tour. We did 48 city." On the American uh, or the yes. British invasion, we did forty-eight cities in fifty-two days, and we all over the country. I mean, you know, New York oh City God. and Miami and L.A., of course, and Chicago, but also you know, uh, bum dumb Indiana, you know, <laughs> wherever we were, you know, Mobile, Jacksonville, you know, wherever we were, everywhere, and we played with all the uh, great American rock groups were our opening acts. We played Roy Orbison with in Montgomery, Alabama was our opening act. And he had the number one song at the time, which was uh, pretty woman, you know? So, uh, you know, in oh, New York, yeah. we played with uh, little Anthony and the Imperials and the Shirelles for any of you that are listening that, know that 50s and 60s well my my audience cues well, they, old, they so know they that you know well jay and the americans uh um uh, everybody paul yes, revere that was a little bit later little bit later gary that was a little bit later oh, okay but this is the that was, uh, herman's, herman's hermits hermits, hermits. hermits. I, I watched their their uh 
they were on this show, Ready, Steady, Go in Manchester, which I brought somebody up to. And they, it was their opening, their first show. And that was their introduction. And I think the Yardbirds and the Kinks were on that show. <laughs> oh, my God. Those are yeah. like two of the most influential yeah. bands so, of all time. I mean, the Kinks, you still yeah. hear people talk about how, yeah. what a great influence. Not right. just rock and roll. Country acts yeah. and jazz acts. And they all go, they all reference yeah. the... But yeah, oh my I God, was there right in I, the middle of it all. And so I, quite all my feeling. friends were in college. So wherever we played, I had friends, you know, like we played Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah I, Madison, Wisconsin. And I had a friend who was going to the University of Wisconsin and, and at front row. And then afterwards, you know, come backstage and everything. So I was like a big hero to all my friends. <laughs> University yeah, of Arizona, the, I remember on somebody, a, a buddy that I knew. So it was fun. It was a fun time, yeah. but I always wanted to be in the film business. So when the tour was over, I was pretty exhausted, and I came back to uh, home and and got lucky enough to get back in the in the movie business. And what uh, I remember, you told a story that I I loved about um, uh, Bill Mazeroski. <laughs> sure, Do remember? Oh, sure. Do you remember that story? And of Roberto course. Clemente. So I was. Uh, I was the dialogue coach on a movie called The Odd Couple, a very famous film with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. But I was also a kind of a, I was learning the ropes of being an assistant director. And luckily, the first AD really thought a lot of me, again, my organizing skills. And there was a scene that was going to take place in New York Mets baseball team. And, uh, the scene is Walter Matthau is sitting in the press box with his buddy and they're looking at the game and uh, he's eating a hot dog. Yeah. I and, think I remember uh, that. He looks scene. down and yeah. And uh, the other guy says, uh, well, uh, the Mets are going to lose another one. And Matthau says, what's the matter? You never heard of a triple play because <laughs> the pirates had the, had the bases loaded you know, and, and, and nobody out. So the Mets are going to lose another one. So, and, and the, the other sports writer goes, Oh yeah, sure. Just then the phone rings and Walter turns away from the game because it's Felix on the phone. And Felix says, Hey, don't eat any hot dogs at the game today. Cause I'm making Franks and beans for dinner. Oh. Well, as he's saying that, and Matthew is away from the game, a triple play happens on the field. Well, you can imagine a sports writer in those days, there was no video. No replay. No, that's it. No re instant replay. So he misses the triple play and he's of course angry with Felix. But my job was to put together on the field, the triple play. So I was down on the field. It was odd couple day at Shea stadium. We were going to, we were going to uh, film at one 30 and the game was going to start at two. So we got there around, I don't know, 10, 10, 30. And my first job while they were setting the cameras and everything up in the press box was to go down first to the Mets. And I talked to them and explained who's going to pitch. I need everybody out on the field. <coughs> we're going to get, get the batter to hit a hard ground ball to third. The third base will step on third, throw to second, throw to first. It'll be a triple play. And you guys will all cheer and run off the field like you won the game. So I put all that together and then I go over to the pirate dugout and in the, in the script, it's Roberto Clemente and Who is I go to Mr. Clemente. I mean, then. Yeah, I mean, oh, of course, great, Roberto Clemente, you know, is yeah. the greatest, you know? And, uh, I said to Mr. Clemente, you know, and I understand you've talked to our producers and, you know, uh, you'll hit in the triple play. And he looked at me and he said, I want $10,000 <laughs> well, while while I got you here, 10,000. Yeah, yeah, $10,000 a lot of, is a lot of money anyway, but $10,000 in 1966 or, or 67 was a hell of a lot of money. So, <coughs> excuse me, I called up to the producer and I said, uh, <clears throat> what do we do? And he said, well, I'm not paying $10,000. Who else you got? And I noticed that on the, on the Pirates, it's a man named yeah, Bill Maserati. Famous second baseman. Hit the home run, second baseman hit a home run in the 1960 World Series to beat the Yankees. Which was one of the most in the bottom of the World ninth inning. of all time because it was a 4-3 yes. and the Pirates, the Yankees beat the, their three games, they beat the Pirates like 
nine to one, eleven to two, and then they won their. They oh, won you remember? That's the year I was born. But the uh, but the Pirates uh-huh. won their games. You know, eleven innings, three to two. I mean, it was like yeah, they got right. the scores were so wildly out of whack. But the Pirates right. were just so scrappy, right. and Bill Mazeroski was like Elroy. Oh yeah, <laughs> Elroy Face was a great relief pitcher. Yeah. Any rate. So Mazeroski said, I explained it to Mazeroski, and he said, I'll do it for $500. Nice. And I said, you've got, the, you've got the job, buddy. I didn't even call yeah. upstairs. I said, you got it. And uh, so we pulled and all that for pretty cool. however m- many minutes of film, right? So it's a minute. Oh, it's, so it's, 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 you know, it's, yeah, at the most. It's at just the most. like, yeah. and people don't think about that. You, Somebody's got to be wrangling all the all these people. I think of a pr- yeah. somebody told me oh, a producer is like, or like show business is like a circus. You got to somebody's got to come in and pitch the tents, and then like the producer is the lion tamer. He's got to wrestle everybody, all the egos of the stars. Well, and, not just the lion tamer. He's, he's another he's, clown into the car everybody and every everything. Yeah, it's just. Yeah crazy yep. business and yet it yep. is our leading probably the leading cultural export in the world if you think about it yeah we i yeah. mean you can go yeah, to pretty cool you know this tiniest village in the highlands of of laos and they're gonna know brad pitt and they're gonna wa- they're gonna watch yeah they're gonna watch uh, cinema paradiso yeah <laughs> that's uh, oh my god that that's Boy, that's a reference. Been a while. It's about the little boy in, in yeah. Italy that loved films, right? And that old movie yeah. house, yes. yeah, magic, and stuff. they put, and yeah, yeah. So, yes. um, what? Uh, yeah, you know, was your first first time? Like, it's all on you. Like, was there a, a moment where you realized, oh my God, this is this is gonna live or die by by me hmm. by my hustle? Um, interesting question, Brett. Uh, well, I think that I was kind of pushed into it, uh, actually on, I think I talked about luck before I was very lucky. I had done a couple of little movies as an assistant to, uh, to the producer, but then I got a job on a, on a film that was going to Mississippi, uh, based on a, uh, Tennessee Williams short story called this property is condemned. And it starred, uh, Natalie Wood and a young actor in his second film. Uh, his name was Robert Redford, <laughs> and uh, I was sent down to Mississippi to help set up the production. And being, uh, I think I was nineteen, yeah, I was nineteen, and at nineteen years old, with all the passion for making movies and had having been a movie buff my whole life, uh, when somebody said, uh, you know, go over and get the girl coffee, boom, I'd run. Yeah. <laughs> And bring back the coffee and the milk and the sugar and how do you want it, you know? And I was just, I was very excited. And on day one, the first assistant director got hurt first thing in the morning and he quit. He said, I am too old to do this. So the second AD, there was, in those days, there was a first and a second and that was it. And they were the people who ran the movie. They, they followed the direction of the director uh, but they actually ran the set, told the crew and everybody what to do and how to got do them it. out of the trailers and, and yes, everything makeup. And uh, so the second became the first, and they did. You know, this we're in the middle of a place called Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, in the middle of nowhere. And they said, "Well, you're the second today." And so I became the second AD. And uh, after a week, the first the second who had become the first they weren't happy with so they said you're going back to second ad he said no i'm not i quit oh god <laughs> so then there what they brought down a new first a very experienced first ad but by lunchtime he uh he liked to take a nip or two <laughs> so after lunch you know i'm 19 years old the first ad is in the trailers and in, in a what they called a honey wagon probably asleep or having a shot and all of a sudden, I am running a set for the director, Sidney Pollack, who went on oh, to make goodness. great films like The Way We Were, Out of Africa, Tootsie, just to name a few. Um, uh, and I had to run everything. And actually, I, I, I probably was nervous, but I loved every second of it. And I realized that I, that's what I was good at. And what I'd like to say, and I think I say it in the book, 
but I know I've said it when I've talked to had had speeches places. Do what you're really good at. Maybe if you want to try something else, okay, that's all right. But I was really good at organizing, and I was really good at communicating with a whole bunch of people, and I could do it with humor. Uh, and and yet, rolling still, yeah. Jack Lemon, Jack Lemon called me the Velvet Hammer. <laughs> And and I thought that was a, a very big yeah call. sure it is any the Jack uh, Jack so. Lemon could have called you a dirty sob and it would have been <laughs> <laughs> yeah well what a life I mean uh, just what what was your first like did you at that moment did you realize well I can direct I could be a, I could no I never no I never thought funny I never thought about directing I didn't want. I didn't want that responsibility. I wanted the responsibility of the whole thing. Yeah. The directing was, was it, it, for some reason, it, it really scared me. Uh, as I look back, I thought, eh, maybe I could have done it. But I really loved, I knew I wanted to be a producer. I knew I wanted to kind of oversee the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, be there is, from the very first moment. Somebody yes. will bring you a script, and yes. then you got to go get the money, and then you got to find the location. Well, Every last bring, bring you a script, you, you, you bring you an idea, and then maybe you have to develop a script. Yeah, you know, it starts from from the, the, the smallest kernel. Have you had like a project that when you were at the premiere, you're like, just like, oh my goodness, you just step back from it, like outside of yourself, and go, this is this is my I did this, this is my work, this all came together. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, I think several of them. Uh, actually that it's kind of fun on especially a comedy to go to the first day uh, the first night of a, of a film i remember standing in the back of the theater with mike myers and dana carvey on the premiere at you know the opening of uh wayne's world and uh i mean so you know you couldn't hear the movie half the time because the, the laughter people were so roaring loud. yeah yeah, well, I, we could do a whole and episode our, on that. That was a cultural phenomenon. But tell me about that. What, yeah. Wasn't that uh, Lorne Michaels' production? Yes. you work for you yes. work for well, Lorne, or you partnered up with him, or no? I part no. I Lorne had been a television producer, and I think he had done Blues Brothers, yes. really. But he wasn't he wasn't an on set producer. He wasn't a guy who was there in kind of in a different way and. I was. I had a deal at Paramount, and the heads of Paramount called me and said, "Would you meet with Lauren? We need a movie producer to work with Lauren on Wayne's World." And so I met with Lauren, and actually, I had. I still have. I had three kids who were. Let's see. It was nineteen. So it was. Uh, I think uh, like my children were like twenty-two, nineteen, and like twelve. Oh, 13. right in the wheelhouse. And I. Yeah, and I called. I called them and said, "Hey, they they want me to do Wayne's World." Oh, Dad, you got to do Wayne's World. You know, Wayne's World, Wayne's World party time. It's excellent. You know, and so right. So, so uh, I got into it, and my oldest son had been on sets with me many times, and so he, I, I made him our key, what they call a key set PA, and he had a ball, and it was just, it was a great time. I have a a great uh, story about uh, my. Th- 12 or 13 year old Robbie, who's now an entertainment attorney. But uh, I brought him out to the set on a Friday night and we were shooting, uh, for those of you who remember Wayne's World, uh, the uh, the cop from uh, Terminator 2, uh, Robert, Robert Patrick, Patrick yes. right, has stopped Wayne in the blue uh, pacer. Um, and uh, he walks in that kind of walk that the the, you know, the, the, the cop in, in Terminator walked, he goes up to this menacing swagger. Yes. And he goes up and he looks down at Wayne, who's in the car and says, um, uh, can I see your driver's license? And my son who's standing next to me at the camera with the director, Penelope Spheris and the writers, we're all standing around and at 12 or 13 years old, very loudly goes, well, that's not funny. That's not right. Oh, no way. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. Why did I bring my kid to the set, right? Just what you need. And Mike Myers, to his credit, said, why, Robbie? Why isn't it right? He said, well, in Terminator, he didn't ask for his license. He had a Polaroid picture of the boy and came to the car and said, have you seen this boy? And 
everybody went, oh, yeah, that's better. That's better. <laughs> and they took a Polaroid picture of Robbie. And so Robbie is in Wayne's world. Oh, my goodness. Because when the, when the cop comes, well, the first time we screened the movie, it got a huge laugh. And he was right. And that Robbie, was a good note. Oh, right. Great note. And Robbie was right away. Well, I'm going to be in the movie business. Yeah, you know. I'm sure the and to be an entertainment lawyer, you get to. That's another. another no, he doesn't. Get, yeah, but he doesn't get to be the creative. No, he's he's creative in making jobs, yeah, and contracts, but not the the other kind of creative. Yeah, but still, but he definitely is. He's definitely a movie critic. It's in the mix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, what uh, you know? Got what was your? Now you went into the when you say you know organizing. There's often that uh, Mother Jones moment, you know how she said, "Don't get angry, organize," and and you got mm-hmm. uh, into the you know the the biz uh, the what do you call it the structure the institutional side of it as well the AMPA Academy of the Producers yeah. Guild and the and the, well yeah I uh, being a producer for many years at there was a the producer was getting less and less um, uh, respect yeah. uh, because they thought, oh, anybody can be a producer and people who really produce know that's not true. But there were lots of people who agents said to like uh, their director or their writer or their movie star, hey, I can get you a producer credit and we can get you more money. And so mm-hmm. they go to the studio and say, all right, well, Yes, so-and-so will do this movie, but uh, he wants to have a producer credit on it as well. And he wants X amount of dollars as a producer, and the studio would kowtow to it. Uh, Or they'd say, you know, uh, so-and-so's brother wants to be a producer on the film, and if you hire him as a producer, he'll do the film. And so the producer, you know, because... Uh, producing is a much more gray area than directing or it doesn't say starring Robert Redford and Brett Brannigan and on the screen, all you see is Robert Redford, but why did Brett Brannigan get a a credit? Yeah. So if, you know, it's, if you're the, if you're the prop man, you're the prop man. There aren't two people who are the property master. There's one, you know, or the script supervisor or the director, you know, but there can be a a team of directors or more producers. I, I, it's unbelievable. Well, just real quick, a story that one of my favorite movies of all time is the, um, uh, what's the guy that did, uh, pie. Um, goodness. I'm going to have to look this. Ang Lee. No, no, although that's a great director. No, he's a life of pie. Uh, no, uh, pie was this weird art film that this guy did. And, uh, oh yeah, this movie with Natalie Portman, she played the ballet star and she was just a black, uh, black swan, black swan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she spent a year on that movie, just practicing, getting into the, the role in the director. He was talking about, uh, you know, on uh, Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, Darren Aronofsky. You, you know, he's got this great working go. class birthday. Hey, you're good. Uh, I would have taken me a, a while to figure that out. But Darren Aronofsky was t- with this great blue collar Brooklyn accent he has, was talking about running out of money right in the middle of the picture. He just made The Wrestler for $2 million, which grossed over $60 million. He thought, yeah. well, I only need yeah. $6 million to make this this project and it's Natalie Portman's passion project. And it's going to be beautiful. I should be, you know, fending off offers. Fox searchlight pulled the money on him at the last minute. And he had two weeks to go and he had no money for these people. And he was going to have to tell them that the picture was going to disband. But somebody told him about some poker group in Texas. And he went there and, you know, made a pitch to these guys, like a few oil types of real estate, types in Austin, I think. And, and they told him they'd give him the $4 million that he needed to figure the movie, but they were going to have to have all these producer credits. And if you look at Black Swan, famously, the producer credits go on and on and on. There's 20 or 30 of these guys, you know, that put in the money at the last minute, but they, they had him over the barrel. He didn't have any choice. Darren Aronofsky is a great filmmaker. And that's one of the beautiful, beautiful movie. Yeah. But he, well, so any rate, I was, I was very upset that the producer credit was becoming less and less important. Yeah, and well, good for you, uh, man. That's the Lord's I decided work. to. Yeah, I decided to 
there was a producers guild, but there weren't many. There were about 350 mainly television producers in it. And I decided to join and I was able to get some of the top producers in the industry to join with me. And, uh, I was able to, I became vice president and I got Kathy Kennedy, who had a very big name, still does, uh, to be the, the, the president. And we started, uh, we put together a set of criteria to say, this is what a producer does. And if you in fact do a majority of those functions, then we will give you our award at the producers guild. And then I became a governor at the Academy where we give out the Oscars. Yeah. And we were able to say to people who wanted to win an Oscar for best picture, okay, the producers guild is going to arbitrate. And if you did a majority of the functions that we have put down our set of criteria as a producer, you can get the, you can get the Oscar. And then the Golden Globes used the Producers Guild arbitration. And then the BAFTAs, which is the British Academy, uh, used it. And then when Mark Gordon and I became presidents of the Producers Guild in 2010, uh, we, along with our great uh, executive director, a man named Vance Van Petten, came up with what we called the Good Housekeeping Seal of Approval, a little P period, G period, A period. Didn't mean you were a member of the guild. Didn't mean you were a member of of the golf professional golfers. It meant that the producers guild had arbitrated your film and decided that you were one of the real producers who had done a majority of the functions, and not just somebody who wrote a check. Not just right, right. And we went. It took us two and a half years to get the studios, and this was this was like. the European theater in World War II to, to, to get to get all at that time all six studios and all the major independents to say yes to our what we call the producers mark and now when you go to the movie theaters or you watch a movie in the last few years you will see a P a small P small G Paul Molle next to the name of the person who actually produced the movie. All right, I'm going to look and, at that now. That's, that's yes, great. And we we got uh, this last year, there were 380 films that we arbitrated. And now it's, we've changed the culture. And I'm very, if somebody said, what's the thing you're most proud of in the industry? It's changing the culture and giving the producer the respect they deserve. Yeah. So that's well, one was, of my favorite accomplishments. You, well, you, that sounds amazing because you know, the professional standards are so important. It's like, uh, yes. you know, knowing who you're, who you're working with and, and dealing with. Now, who was your big pushback? Who, where was the main obstacle? And how did you the persuade main them? <laughs> the main obstacle, as we said, is it's, we're not a, uh, we're not a, uh, we're not a union. So we can't force this on you. And we know that there's a lot of agents and other people who want that credit, but it's the morally the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. You know who the real producer is. Give us a shot. And I went to a very dear friend of mine at Universal who was running Universal at the time. Mark Gordon went to a dear friend of his at Sony, and we got those two pretty fast. But then we had to get, if we didn't get a third one, nobody else was going to say yeah, yes. The critical mass. It just, right. And we were able to, through, I mean, just <laughs> hard work and, and just, we went in meeting after meeting with their lawyers, with their business affairs people, and with the heads of the studio, just not taking no for an answer and saying, this is, guys, you're, you're really hurting, you're hurting yourselves because you have to pay all this other money to all these other people who don't produce, yeah. you know, and, and, and it, the producers are very important function, and they knew all this. And finally we got the third and then the fourth and then the fifth and sixth fell in line. Yeah. So like and, more, uh, a moral suasion campaign. Yes. Yes. But it yeah. was not easy, not easy. And now we're now the producers guild, I'm proud to say, remember I said it was 350 in 2000. We have 8,500 members and we're a very, very important force in the industry. I'm very proud of that.
Well, congratulations. And speaking of forces, um, I, I met your lovely wife, Molly, who has helped you yep. with a, put, a, put the book together. <laughs> And I know you got a you got to meet put a life together. Yeah, well, you got a, a meet cute story, and it involves your name as well. Your the you know finding your uh, putting a name to your identity almost, and uh, yeah. it was a really sweet story. And if you got a met, I'd love to hear it. Sure. Well, well, my name was Howard Koch Jr., and I, I won't go through all the stuff, but I had a very famous father and a very well loved father, and. Um, I was kind of at 49 years old, I was kind of in the depth of depression about something. And uh, I met with a friend of mine said, I got to, I, I, I was depressed because another relationship that I had been in, I wasn't very good at relationships, Yeah, had been in, uh, had failed. And I said, I got to do something spiritual for my 50th birthday. And he said, well, I know you're, I've been to your children's bar and bat mitzvah. Can you get bar mitzvah at 50? And I said, wow, I don't know, Gary. But I found out, and I met a great rabbi, and I won't go through that whole story, but at, at, at the end of a whole series of things, uh, he asked me what my Hebrew name was, and um, I said, I don't have a Hebrew name. Uh, my parents were non-religious, uh, and, he, and he said, um, oh, let me try and get this right, because I'm kind of telling it too quickly. Um, uh, he 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 said, uh, "Why is your name Howard Cost Jr.?" And I said, "Well, because that's that's who has named me." And he said, "Well, what's your Hebrew name?" And I said, "I don't have one." He said, "Well, for your bar mitzvah, you'll be given your own name." Well, he meant Hebrew name, yeah. but when he said own name, I broke down, and he said, "What is it?" And I said, well, for 49 years, I've had my father's name. I'd love my own name. And then he said the words that changed my life. He said, you can have your own name. What? I could, ha I could have my own name. What do you want to be called? Do you want to be called, you know, uh, Brett or Frank or Jerry or no, no, no. And he said, did you ever have a nickname? And I said, well, my initials are HWK. And a few people called me Hawk, but it really didn't stick. And he said, uh, well, do you know anything about hawks? And I said, yeah, bird of prey. And he said, well, no, hawks mate for life. And I said, well, <laughs> that's something <laughs> I'm very good at. And he said, and they also can see from horizon to horizon, uh, they can see the panoramic and the detail of their lives always at the same time. And I thought, wow, oh, that's, that's really cool. cool. So a long story of how I took the name Hawk. And it's about, I don't know, nine, ten months later, I'm taking a hike with my dog up on a hill. And uh, a, a woman's coming down the hill with her two dogs. And our dogs met. And um, they started to, you know, my dog usually would growl at other dogs. But for some reason, he really liked these other dogs. And the woman and I started to talk. We talked for about an hour. And uh, I really found her interesting and smart and beautiful. And I asked her out. And uh, what I didn't know at the time was she had been a widow. Her husband had died two years before. And the reason she had gone up on that mountain that day, because it was the anniversary of her husband's death. And she had gone up there that day to do a ritual, to say goodbye to her husband and say she was going to start moving on with her life. And so oh when she God. came down that hill, she had just done this ritual. And here I am uh, talking to her for about an hour. And then I asked her out. <laughs> oh, my God. That's and uh, So you didn't uh, have uh, inside information on her I knew life not, presented I knew, yourself. At the I, didn't know, just a, I didn't know oh. anything. <laughs> and we've been together uh, 24 years. That's, that's phenomenal. So it's pretty cool. And um, you've been in Ojai now for five, six, six years. Six years. Six six years. years. Yeah, wow. House. house uh, we bought the house uh, Thanksgiving 2014. And wh why Ojai? I'm sure you've heard of Ojai all growing up. And oh, yeah. Yeah. No. How beautiful um, it was. And, but, yeah. No. Uh, why just, would you uh, move here? What, what well, we always talked about We lived in a, in a three story architectural log cabin up on a secluded mountain in. Uh, Topanga, Malibu, overlooking the ocean. Uh, but it was up a windy road, and you know we were getting older, 
And we kept saying, Jesus, you know, God, God forbid something happens to our ankle or our knee or our hip or something. Or fire. Uh, we get, yeah, well, we certainly, yeah, we had fires up there too. You know, maybe it'd be great to find some place where we could find a one-story house and live the rest of our lives without too much stress. And it was going to be our uh, anniversary, and we decided to come up here just to go up to the inn and spend a weekend. But Molly, who always does, looks at the real estate, and uh, we called a real estate broker and said, hey, you know, can you take us around and show us some stuff? Because we had seen this house that we're in now online. And we saw this house, and uh, it had the bones. And long story short, we bought it that week. <laughs> and decided uh-huh. to move and we've been here you know as i said we've had the house six years that's great well and we wel- love welcome we yeah love isn't it an amazing community yes just really love can't wait to can't wait to to enjoy everybody again yeah well if you're going to be stuck anywhere there's yeah, way worse I, places than oh yeah that's no, for sure. we're very grateful very appreciative yeah and uh, just to bring it uh full circle you you and your father are the only father-son combo to head the academy is that right yes yeah yeah i'm very proud of that uh now that must uh felt like full circle did you have a moment oh yeah <laughs> when i uh well, it's in the book. Hopefully, some of your people will read my book, Magic. I'm going to put it in the notes. Yeah, great. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I had been on the board for quite a while, and a few people said, you know, you're really good at organizing. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> going back to what I do best. And um, I uh, uh, they asked me if I wanted to run for president, and I got nominated. And I really thought I was going to lose, and I won on the first ballot. And I just, I could not believe it. It was really a, a dream come true, and uh, I won't go into it now, but I'm really proud of a lot of stuff that I was able to do at the Academy. And uh, Well, I know the whole call for diversity, a lot of that was one as part of your yes. effort and yes. your initiative. Yes, online. And that's a work in progress, but it sure has come quite a long ways in the yes. last five or six, seven, eight, ten years. Online, online voting, um, much more uh, openness with not just the Board of Governors, but with the whole Academy. Uh, really proud of it, really proud of it. But just to be part of that uh, structure and the history of this industry and everything, it must just be really, really something. I still get excited. I'm still passionate. Yeah. Well, um, before I let you go, I just wanted to get a few view and recommendations. You said Queen's Gambit, which I loved. Um, Yeah. There's a really good uh, documentary that's just coming out uh, called uh, On the Record uh, by... uh, a great team that have done phenomenal documentaries, uh, Kirby Dick and, and Amy's, uh, Amy Ziering, uh, called on the record. It's, uh, a me too movement documentary about, uh, these women and Rachel Simmons, the, you know, the Def Jam guy. Oh uh, yeah. Sure. Uh, he, I've heard some phenomenal documentary. Yeah. Um, I really liked it. Didn't get good reviews, but I really liked, uh, uh, elegy, um, um, hillbilly, hillbilly elegy. elegy. Yeah, I really, I thought there was some wonderful things in it. I, I really, well, Glenn that. Close blew me away. She just, oh, you really, saw it. She gave herself over to that oh, role. Yeah, it. I mean, yeah. just a few few days ago. It hasn't been out yeah. long. Yet. Yeah, but uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought Ron Howard did. Aside from Glenn Close and and, and uh, Amy Adams, I thought the the performances of the two boys. You know, the younger and the older boy yeah. were phenomenal. Very well cast. Yes. I mean, uh, yeah. Great yeah, casting. Yeah, that must be must be some a trick to the casting that goes yeah. with that, yeah. really. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh I'm trying to think what uh what else there is to talk about. You've been so generous with your time. I, I feel well, like uh Anderson Cooper's on. <laughs> okay. Well, um say hi to your lovely wife. I will, Brett, and I really and I, enjoyed it and uh uh, uh thanks and uh i hope everybody enjoyed the hour and uh we'll do it again sometime 
Yeah. In fact, I think we'll take one of your movies apart. I think that would be great fun. Oh, sure. I think Wayne's World would be. This is the problem. There's so much to talk about. I don't even know where to, to <laughs> begin. But anyway, thank you very much, Holly. You got it. And it was a wonderful talking with you. And we'll hopefully see you around the campus. Yes, too long. Just thinking out loud. It was a pleasure talking with such a pro as Hawk, who has lived and breathed movies, music, and arts his entire life. We didn't get around to talking much about his book, but I highly recommend it, not least because he deals so honestly with issues like depression and his struggles to become his own person. It's that vulnerability that elevates it above more typical autobiographies. Magic time, my life in Hollywood. That's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.